Welcome to the Natural Health Rising podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, Certified Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Practitioner. I'm here to deliver you weekly episodes where you will hear conversations with health experts and solo episodes about functional medicine and all things holistic health. My goal is to provide you with the knowledge and tools you need in order to help you rise to your healthiest, happiest self. On this episode of the Natural Health Rising podcast, I have Dr. Jeff Crippen with me. Dr. Crippen's mission is to live life to the fullest and help others do the same. He's a chiropractor, nutritionist, and coach who enjoys helping others unlock their true potential. For the last decade, Jeff has helped clients through both chiropractic care and nutrition at his wellness clinic in St. Joe, Texas, as well as through individualized mindset coaching with the Advanced Coaching and Leadership Center. He finds a holistic approach, optimizing spirit, mind, and body, the most efficient and effective way to create a lifetime of timeless youth. Welcome to the show, Dr. Crippen. Awesome. Thank you, Rachel. It's a, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. Um, I know you have a really interesting story and, you know, we, we can't go without hearing this crazy journey that you had, um, from childhood with, with health problems and I believe migraine specifically. So do you mind sharing a little bit of that journey and, um, get into that and how that led you to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Thank you very much. Um, for the question. And, you know, the question is, you know, how did I end up here? Which is like a question all of us can look at in our life. And I love uh, Steve Jobs did a commencement address in Stanford and said, you can only make sense of the pieces looking backwards. You never know looking forwards, how they're all going to play out. But for me, those pieces um, started, you know, pretty innocuously with headaches when I was about six years old. And um, I did what I know to do, or really my parents did what they know to do, which was, you know, take me to a pediatrician and started with some over-the-counter pain relievers, you know, children's Advil, children's Tylenol, then the headaches got worse. You go back to the pediatrician or I did. And, um, you know, then you get some stronger pain relievers that eventually you're getting prescription drugs. And then two to three years later, the headaches are still getting worse. And so at its, um, you know, and progressively worsening headaches that don't respond to pain relievers are a red flag symptom in children. So in my case, that led to a CAT scan they found a mass in my head that eventually led to a series of 10 or 12 MRIs over the next 10 years. What they found was a, turned out to be a, a it was a mass in my head, turned out to be a benign cyst, um, led to a surgical consult. And, you know, thankfully the surgeon decided not to do brain surgery and assume that mass that they saw in the MRI was the cause of my headaches. But at that age, at nine years old, when he said uh, he didn't want to do surgery, I was disappointed, right? It's just like, I have this idea that, you know, if that's what's causing my headaches and, you know, they're bad and they're stopping me from being able to, you know, play with my friends after school and, and run around that I was, you know, I was disappointed by the idea that I wasn't going to be able to get help. So anyway, continue to search through traditional medicine for the next, you know, half decade or so. And at its worst, I had a headache that lasted for two years. So every moment, every day, nonstop. So, you know, it was, you know, changed my life certainly um, was very debilitating and, you know, at its worst kind of have those really dark days of like, I can't go on living like this. And in the sense of I'm either going to figure this thing out or, you know, I don't, you know, or whatever, I didn't really want to think about what the other option was, but just really got to that point of, you know, just feeling beat down from the pain. So that was the beginning. And luckily, um, and I feel quite grateful that was the kind of launching point for like a 25 year journey through, um, to where I am now through um, alternative medicine, trying to find out, really answer the question, what is health? And then realizing that a lot of medical, medical system um, is based on treating symptoms, treating disease, covering up with drugs, covering up with surgeries, as you and your listeners know well. But often the alternative medicine is kind of like the wild, wild west, right? You read one book and it says, this is the best diet. You read another book, it says, this is the best diet. Remember with headaches specifically, you read one book and it said, caffeine can cause your headaches. Another book that says caffeine can cure the headaches. And I was like, I'm 12 years old. It's not caffeine either way. Right. Another one that talks about the benefits of red wine. Another one that says red wine is bad. And I was like 14 at this point, you know, so, so you're kind of trying to sort through all of the, you know, all of the, you know, incredible vastness of knowledge and try to find out what's true, what works and what doesn't. Anyway, that was the journey, uh, went pre-med and college, actually the Spanish major, um, because I wanted something super practical. And then eventually chiropractic school, got a degree in 
uh, in nutrition and been practicing um, in kind of the wellness space for the last uh, 12 years or so. So how did you make it through those dark days? Was there anything you told yourself that allowed you to keep moving forward? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think just a lot of determination and a slight bit of stupidity in the sense of like, just like that, you know, just going to keep going. And even if it feels like ramming my head into the wall, um, you know, I had very supporting family, very supportive parents. And, you know, my mom did have a mantra. She just, she kept saying something good was going to come out of this. And, you know, there's Mm -hmm. days I totally agreed with her and days that um, I probably didn't, but I think deep down I must've known because deep down, I think I was always searching or reaching for something, whether it was reading a book, whether it was trying a different doctor, whether it's, you know, talking to different people, there was always a push forward or at least having at least a glimmer of hope, even through the darkest days. Um, so I think deep down there was, although if you asked me at the time, whether I was conscious of it, I think the answer would be absolutely not. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's just good for people to hear because I'm sure there's plenty of people who do get to a point where things go on for years and they just, they really do give up eventually, or they're like so close to giving up. And so to hear that, I mean, first of all, this was obviously a decades worth or so of a journey, but even like this, the headache lasting two years, like, oh my goodness, that must've been incredibly challenging. Yeah. And and the thing is, I remember like different doctors, they have different theories on how to do it and how to treat it. You kind of go through it. But one of the things they would do is ask me to create a headache log. You know, do you have a headache today? Yes, no, or maybe, you know, or just like, or (laughs) what is the, what, what is the, um, what is the rating of the headache, you know, on a scale of zero to 10, what's the headache like? And that would fill me with so much freaking rage. <laughs> Just because like the way I survived um, was by not thinking about it. Just like mm-hmm. as best I could push that pain far to the side and try just to ignore it and try to keep going as if like, you know, as if an athlete has a bum knee, but they're in the championship game and they're like, well, I'm just going to suck up the pain and just keep going. I think it was that that kind of mindset, just trying to push it off. So anything that would put my attention on the headache often made me kind of upset. And, you know, my, you know, my family would notice at the time I would as well, but less aware of it then, but like that I was a different person when I had a headache in a sense of like more irritable, more angry. I mean, just, just the emotional change that happened within me when I was kind of in that, in that state of pain was, you know, noteworthy to myself now or notable to myself as well, as well as to those around me. So it's definitely, there's, I mean, there is a, I mean, there's an incredible, you know, mental battle and and mental in a very real sense of um, moving through that. Like one of the, one of the therapies they, they gave me when I went through a whole bunch of medications, as you can imagine over a decade or plus through that medical system, but they were, um, at one point, there was a theory of giving a small dose of an antidepressant um, as preventative for the headache. So I was actually taking one um, at the time, along with a second medication that I think was um, more of a muscle relaxer or pain reliever. But one of them, I, anyway, the name was Elavil, and it was a low-dose antidepressant is what they told me. But what I find from patients is almost they always tell you they're always on low-dose antidepressants. No one's ever come in and said, my doctor gave me a high-dose antidepressant. <laughs> Right. right. It's always, it's always low dose, but anyway, that, that medication now has a black box warning on it as increasing suicidal ideation in children. Um, and anyway, there's been lots of documented effects now of, um, homicides and suicides among children taking antidepressants. So that happened to be one of the, one of the medications that I was taking for a couple of years. Um, and I think one thing I was aware of, even, even from the beginning of taking that, and this was probably, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old range um said i knew i just didn't feel myself taking that medication and eventually you know luckily fortunately i i I trusted that intuition and went back to the doctor and basically pushed to get off it i don't know how hard i pushed or how willing the doctor was to get on it so it's not like i had to do this heroic thing but um i definitely was aware that i didn't feel myself when i was on that and i was somewhat aware of the dangers of antidepressants at the time but um, so getting off that was a key step in that process because maybe maybe enabled me to see the pain in the world kind of through a more clear lens than I felt like I did when I was taking that, you know, mm-hmm. basically psychotropic medication. Right. Um, really quick, can you also outline what are some of the side effects 
or downsides to taking these over-the-counter pain relievers or general pain relievers that a lot of people with just regular people, I mean, there's a lot of people who just like get headaches all the time, right? And they're just like, oh, let me just pop this. And it does work, which is great that that helps them. But what could they be doing to their body? Yeah. So, you know, Tylenol sends about 50,000 people a year to the emergency room just to give people one stat. Um, So, you know, they get all bent out of shape when, you know, one supplement sends six people as, you know, start hyperventilating around it or something like that. But, you know, Tylenol is well known to send 50,000 people a year to the emergency room. So, um, so specifically one of the ones I was on was ibuprofen and, you know, the doctors would say, take it every four to six hours when you had a headache. Um, and if you pretty much always have a headache, you take it every four to six hours. So I was taking it, you know, basically four times a day, um, for years. So eventually, um, you know, liver damage is basically one of the main ones that shows up with that. I went to a, eventually went to a headache specialist and then they told me, you know, they thought I was having rebound headaches from developing chemical dependency to the, to the ibuprofen that I was taking. So I think, you know, liver, depending on the pain reliever you're using, liver damage is high on that list. Gastrointestinal issues, including gastrointestinal bleeds would certainly be something there as well as with certain medications. Um, you know, like I, like I said, like a chemical dependency or your body starts to count on that medication in the body. Okay. Well, I've got to know if you could just do a real quick brief summary, summary, what actually worked for you? Like what was the secret sauce that where finally you started getting some relief? Yeah, great. So, um, so one thing I found, so I'm a chiropractor by trade. So one thing I found is chiropractic helped with symptomatic relief. So if I had a pain, a headache was a seven, it took it down to a four, let's say as an example, which means it helped the headache get better, but I didn't really feel like it got to the underlying issue. Um, what was really transformational for me was um, something called kinesiology or muscle testing and basically using that to develop or to determine the weak areas of my body. So it's basically a measure, way of measuring the energetic strength and health of different organs and systems. So for me, one of the key ones ended up being cardiovascular support, um, you know, a whole food um, base of B vitamins, um, and then some adrenal and thyroid support and end up... I went through a lot of different systems as I was rebuilding the body because after, you know, after 12 or 15 years, it's like, you know, one domino falls, then a second domino falls, then a third domino falls. And, you know, by the time I got there, um, you know, 10 plus years in the journey, you have to pick up a lot of dominoes to get back to the first one. But I'll tell you, one of the big things for me was um, support, you know, for the cardiovascular system, whole, whole food support, support specifically um, for the heart was really, really helpful for me. Okay. Um, you do muscle testing in your clinic, correct? Yeah, I do. Okay. So can you actually talk a little bit about that? Like how it actually works and the process? Cause I do know, um, you know, people get a little worried, like, oh, wait, what, what do you mean you push on my hand and then you tell me what to take? Yeah. Like, how does that actually work? Good. So have you ever done it or as a patient um, or as a practitioner? I, I have not gone to a professional uh-huh. Yeah. I have friends who've gone to many sure. muscle testers. Yeah. Um, I run tons of functional medicine labs on myself. So yeah, I'm yeah. always like yeah, yeah. doing, I have sure. access to that. So that's great. But no, personally, I actually haven't okay. um, gone yeah. to a professional for it. Okay, good. Yeah. I just wanted to um, try to tailor my answer to that. Um, so thanks for, for sharing that. Um, yeah. So it is, um, you know, I, I'll just tell you what I tell patients when they walk in the first time. And, you know, basically this is going to look like very different from most of your other, you know, doctor visits and most of them are coming from the medical system. So mm-hmm. I practice in shorts and sandals about 300 plus days a year. So like I already, like I'm looking different than most doctors when they walk into the practice. So, um, so that w- w- the way I practice is a continuation of that, but the way, I, the way I start is, and I'd ask kind of you and your audience this question, have you ever eaten certain foods and felt better, more energized, more alert, thinking more clearly, and maybe eaten other foods and felt more tired, more fatigued, more bloated, right? Absolutely. So we we could feel foods affecting the energy of our body. Then I would ask, have you ever been around certain people and felt more positive, more energized, more alive? A hundred percent. And been around other people and felt the opposite. And that's exactly how the answer goes for most people. You know, they can relate to the idea of certain foods. Most people can relate to the ideas of certain foods, giving them more energy and some less, but even more can relate to the idea of being around certain people and feeling more energized and feeling less energized. So say, great, that's the principle we're using right? And it's the principle of the body runs on energy, right? And if you think about an EKG, 
right? It goes blip, blip, blip. And then eventually if it goes, no, no movement, no energy basically means dead. But what you're looking at with that EKG is the electrical activity of the heart. So the nerves run on energy. That's what an EG can do. I mean, you can look at um, this idea of energy through the body in, in traditional uh, Chinese medicine. They call it qi, right? In Ayurvedic medicine, traditional medicine of India, they'll call it prana. Um, so there's different terms of this, but the vital force or energy of the body. So basically certain foods and certain people can add more energy to the body and can take it away. So what muscle testing does or what it does for me in my clinic is what I found it's the reason I'm willing to be the weird doctor who uses muscle testing in their office. Um, and that's generally what I call myself, but probably most of my patients as well. I mean, we, uh, we and anyway, that's one of the modalities we use. Uh, we definitely do a lot of functional wellness ranges in blood work. So we definitely utilize that occasionally stool samples, hair analysis. So there's a couple different things that we'll bring together, but I'll talk specifically at the benefits of muscle testing is you can read about thyroid, right? And mm -hmm. you can read selenium can be good for the thyroid. Mm -hmm. Iodine could be good for the thyroid. Right? Iron can be good for the thyroid. Sodium could be good for the thyroid. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can go through what a healthy zinc is important nutrient for thyroid function. You need optimal liver function to work on the conversion of T4 to T3. Right. So you can go yes. through this secondary conversion of the gut. Right. So you can go through all of these steps. But when the patient's in front of you, how how do you or how do I figure out the exact best supplement for them at the exact right time? So the way I use it is take all that, you know, knowledge, whatever knowledge I have, but take the knowledge I have about, you know, say thyroid and say we've identified seven key nutrients for optimum thyroid function, you know, amino acid tyrosine would be another we could add to that list, which is where the T and T3 comes from instead of tyrosine. So, so anyway, we'd work through that. And then how do I help determine the best product for the client would be using that knowledge from the functional side and then muscle testing it on it to find which one makes them strong and which one makes them weak. And that helps me, I feel, be more specific and help them get better results quicker or most efficiently. So that's how I use it. The downside is sometimes you look like, you know, you're a little bit more outside the system and it can look a little weird or different. But the benefit of it is it gives me more exactness because, you know, blood work is fantastic and you can tell a lot of things on blood work, right? But one thing that blood work doesn't always tell you is let's say someone's hematocrit is low or they have some early signs of anemia. Okay, so then you start working through what's causing that, right? Is it a bleed? Is it iron? Is it B12? Is it B6? Is it B9? Is it um, vitamin C? Is it is it a digestive issue with some of those nutrients, right? Is some inflammation in the gut? And is it an internal bleed? You can kind of go through that. So blood work can give you great information, but it doesn't always, in my, in my experience with the level of knowledge I have, it'll narrow things down as possible causes, but it doesn't necessarily tell me the key cause within that. So I find using those two complementary kind of brings those two together. It helps me be a little more specific, exact and a little more specific with that. And mm -hmm. ultimately the benefit to the patient is, you know, get better, faster, uh, more cost-effectively is kind of really what I'm driving for for patients. Have you ever tried red light therapy? I've been using this kind of therapy for probably about four years now. And I know it's always gonna be a part of my self-care and health routine. Red light therapy reduces inflammation, increases blood flow. It helps heal wounds, scars, and acne because it stimulates collagen production. It improves joint and musculoskeletal health and helps balance your circadian rhythm, which means better mood and better sleep. Personally, I notice a huge improvement in muscle recovery time post-workouts when I'm consistently using red light therapy and it helps me maintain clear and healthy skin. So right now my routine is every morning I wake up and I sit in front of my cozy red light machine and I meditate. It is such a peaceful way to start my morning and I feel supercharged and ready for the day afterwards. You can actually get 10% off of Cozy's red light machines by using the code NATURALHEALTHRISING. So you can head over to their website by going to the link in the show notes, or you can go straight to CozyHealth.com, which is spelled K-O-Z-E-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. And again, the code is NaturalHealthRising to save 10%. Right. I love that. 
Um, just to clarify for people who are listening, who because what we didn't really explain what it looks like too much. Sure. What does it look like? You put you put the sure. supplement in the hand and just explain that piece so people can sure. get a visual. Yeah. So basically, what I'll typically in my office, I'll just kind of walk them through a visual of what it would look like, kind of in my office, and you know, different practitioners will do it differently, but there's a lot of similarities across it. So my practitioner, uh, my in my practice, the patient will be lying down. I'll be using an indicator muscle. So we'll use a muscle and I'll tell them I'm using that muscle not to determine how strong they are, but to find out where there's energy in, in their body and where there's not. So what it doesn't mean is I'm not doing an arm wrestling contest with the, with the patient, right? I'm not trying to overpower them and see if I'm stronger than them or they're stronger than me. I'm often doing it with as much force as, you know, maybe imagine you putting a pinky on someone's arm, right? And pushing mm-hmm. with about 10% of your force. That's about the, the force level you're using. And where you're using that, is to see if that indicator muscle locks or goes weak. You're basically just looking for, does that muscle stay strong or does it kind of short circuit? And what it'll feel like, to get in a little more detail, is it'll feel like it's kind of ratcheting. So the muscle will like go weak and then strong, and 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 it'll slowly ratchet down. That's what it'll feel like when there's something short circuiting the body. And when it just stays strong with a little bit of force, um, then you know that's that's the strong muscle. So that's what strength feels like. Weak feels like um, a little bit of a ratchet and slowly getting weak. And the key, I mean, you know, there's a couple of keys to muscle testing. One is, you know, to have a good, incredible, good basic knowledge going into it. So you know which stuff to grab and which kind of confidence in the products you're using and understanding of that healing. The other thing that's really important is can you determine the difference between strong versus weak? So what I tell, you know, people who want to learn it is, Go around to a bunch of people, and you know, maybe put an apple in their hand, and then put some Splenda or some some kind of artificial sweetener, and you get them, you know, get them from wherever restaurants or any places that have those little packets of, you know, a bad artificial sweetener, and mm-hmm. then just start practicing. Can you to, can you feel the change in someone's muscles with something good on their body? The supplement apple, in this case, as an example, and can you feel the difference with, you know, something that's probably going to be toxic to most people like an artificial sweetener. And once you can consistently do that on, you know, 50 or hundred different people get feel the difference of how that feels, then you can kind of build on that. But that's kind of like the foundational skill. Can, is, can you determine strong versus weak and how much confidence you have in that? Because everything kind of builds on that, that mm-hmm. beginning test. Yeah. I'd rather just have someone do it for me. Can you, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's let the professional yeah. do it. Uh, yeah, but can you, can sure. you, can you do it on yourself? Is that a possibility? Yeah. So um, I'll just, so there's, there's ways to do it. I'll tell you my experience with it, which is like, it's hard to find my own blind spots. Mm-hmm. So there's someone I go see for chiropractic. There's someone else I work with for nutrition. And the reason I do that is because I, if I knew what was wrong with me, I would have already fixed it in yeah. a sense. So to have a different set of eyes come on there. So could you do it? Yes, but it's it, it, in my experience, it's like, can you find, are there, there's ways to do it. Not, not something I use a lot, but, um, but in my experience, it's like trying to find your own blind spots. It's kind of a difficult thing. So having an outside yeah. set of eyes when you're trying to work through something, because, you know, if we, we could figure it out. We probably would have already done it. <laughs> and if we can't, then it's useful to have somebody with a different perspective or a different you know, knowledge set or experience set to help us with that. Totally agree. I, I can yeah. run all the tests and I can do all the things on myself, but I hire other people because I, yeah, yeah. I, I need that external support and different lens as well. Yeah. And I'm sure you can fix a bunch on your own. Right. And it's the yes. stuff that, yes, and it's most the stuff, of it. And it's those, yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's how it is. We all can fix whatever we can to our level of knowledge or competence or viewpoint or experience. And then for those missing pieces, that's the power of having a great coach or a great practitioner or an outside mm-hmm. set of eyes looking at it. Um, yeah, and ultimately you find someone that resonates with you and has the knowledge that's complimentary what you want. And, but yeah, for hundred percent, we can all get to the point we can get to. And then if we want to get to that next level, having a, you know, having a coach or somebody to help us with that is super helpful. Right. In your book, Timeless Youth, which is spelled Y-O-U dash T-H, you'll have to yeah. explain that a little bit more too. Um, yeah. You discuss five different yeah. principles that your practice and your life are built on. And so there's the Yellowstone principle, um, there's the Model A principle, the quantum principle, the principle of Olympic strength, and the yeah. principle of the golden you. I would love if you could just give a couple sentences of a breakdown of like what each of those principles 
really encompasses or means to you. Yeah, awesome. I'd be happy to do that in you know, the books behind me, but you know, if anybody's, I don't know if they're watching online, but it's Y-O-U, like you said, little T, yeah. little H, because yes. um, the number one truth in your health is you, right? And mm -hmm. that's, you know, and all healing begins with you. So I really wanted to emphasize the you and the youth. Mm -hmm. Like anytime, you know, who's your best doctor? It's yourself, <laughs> right? And I'd say that to all the patients. And, you know, this this shows up a lot um, for, for many people as they go in the medical system. I think specifically shows up a lot for women as they kind of have an intuition that something's maybe not fully right or it doesn't fully show up in their blood work or you know, maybe they've got an autoimmune condition, or maybe they're just tired, or maybe they're just fatigued, or maybe they just feel something's a little off. And the conventional blood work, you know, a simple blood panel will say everything's fine, or the doctor will say, you know, I, you know, everything looks good, we'll see you in a year. But deep down, you kind of know something's not right, right? That's mm -hmm. an incredible intuition. That's, that's an example of you being your own best doctor. And you know, I just encourage those patients to, you know, to find someone who can understand kind of what they're going through. But so that's, that's why I played um, with the, with the word you or, or set it up that way, because to really emphasize that number one, you know, truth in your health is you. So, so what are the principles? So if we walk through them, the Yellowstone principle is, um, you know, example of Yellowstone. So, um, and there's more to go into, but I'll give you the, the quick, like 30,000 foot overview. It's, um, it's the principle of holism. It basically says, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, which is a quote from Aristotle back in the day. And the, the medical system in comparison operates on reductionism, which is, you know, more and more about less and less. Like the best, the best doctors, the most highly paid doctors are specialists. So it's not a general practitioner, it's an oncologist. And then it's a pediatric oncologist. And then it's a pediatric oncologist specializing in childhood leukemia. So I can kind of go up this ladder of specialization, which is fantastic, except if you lose sight of the whole, right? Because ultimately you're not, you know, your listener, they're not, you're not a liver, you're not a heart, you're not a kidney, you're not a brain, you're a whole, you know, whole being, certainly with a, a body with all kinds of interconnected pieces. And you, true, what these are, are the principles that make up health. So health reflects holism or, and actually the root word of health uh, comes from the word whole. So the first one is the Yellowstone principle is how the whole, how an individual piece is a reflection of the whole or how the whole reflected in any individual piece. So that's the first one. The second one is the Model A principle. So this was, um, you know, Henry Ford was famous for the Model T, which was the number one selling car in the world. And Henry Ford famously said um, that he didn't ask his, his clients what they wanted because they would have told him they wanted a faster horse and buggy. So he said, I'm going to tell you what you want. And basically at one point, the Model T came in any color you wanted, as long as that color was black. <laughs> So, and, he, and the reason he chose black is because it was the paint that dried the quickest. So the whole system of the Model T was set up around efficiency uh, and you know, what we now know as um, the assembly line, but it was about efficiency and how quickly can you build it, which worked until it's failed spectacularly because customers wanted you know, different cars for the country versus the city roads and for a Sunday drive. And so what he found is um, the Model A was Ford's answer to the Model T when it ultimately failed, which gave the client gave customers choice over what kind of car they wanted. The Model A principle is we are not Model Ts, right? Mm -hmm. Medicine, this is not one size fits all. Right? When we go into a doctor, um, you're not the same as I am, not the same as our parents, not the same as our kids. And you kind of go through that process. But in order to see you know, a patient in five minutes or 10 minutes, you have, the only way that assembly line can run is if you assume they're all the same. So one size does not fit fit all, um, and healthcare, true healthcare, requires you know care that is personalized and individualized. So that's the model A principle. The quantum principle is basically the power of energy, mm -hmm. right? The body runs on energy. I gave a little example of that earlier with the idea of muscle testing, but it's something you see across across cultures and ideas. And the medical system is very mature, materialistic in the sense that you know, look what I found on the X-ray, right? And you had. Uh, um, somebody on your recent podcast talking about, well, you, you can't really use just MRIs or just x-rays to determine pain because there's actually no correlation. And that's 100% true. There's like zero correlation between what you see on an x-ray and someone's pain level in the sense you can't predict it. But it's very easy to point to it and say, that's the problem. The only problem is it ignores, um, it ignores the non-physical components. And you know, the, um, 
we can take a short detour towards high school and chemistry class, but their physics really, the atom was basically built out of protons and neutrons and electrons, right? And the idea was these electrons kind of went in circles around the atom. Well, that atom, you know, quite simplistically is the building block of the universe. It's the building block of our body, it's the building block of our cars, the building block of the desk, it's the building block of the universe. What the quantum physics, one of the things quantum physics found is that atom is 99.99996 or so percent empty space. Only that space is not empty, it's full of energy. So our body is built out of atoms and the atoms are over 99% energy, which means our body runs on energy, which means we have to understand how energy affects the body. Um, and in fact, we know this because we gave the example earlier, like what I asked how many people you know, have have you know been around people that add to their energy and being around to take them away. That's an energetic response that's happening. The hormones aren't changing that fast. The endocrine system's not changing that fast, right? That's happening on an energetic level. So we can incorporate that um, to create health. Olympic strength principle is basically the idea in functional medicine, it's called hormesis, but the idea of how stress can make us stronger. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes back to the story of the Titanic had a sister ship called the Olympic. And when the Titanic sank, the Olympic got stronger. So what they realized is that um, some of the flaws in the Titanic, and they use that to make the Olympic stronger. So that's the Olympic strength principle, how stress can actually make us stronger. And the golden U principle is, um, comes down to, we all have an incredible infinite ability to heal. One of the things that really resonated to me about chiropractic school was this idea of what chiropractors call innate, tele innate intelligence, which is like the inborn wisdom in the body. Basically, it's the idea that you know, we make a million red blood cells a day and the spleen recycles a million blood blood cells today. And all of that happens without us thinking about it. You know, we cut our knee and it may bleed and then there'd be some swelling in the area and increased blood flow. We'll feel that as redness and heat. Platelets will come, inflammation will happen and the body will heal. So we have this incredible, incredible, incredible ability to heal. And the question is, how can we unlock that? Instead of trying to stop the body or work against it with drugs that mandate a certain effect, how can we give the body what it needs to unlock its own ability to heal? So those, that's a quick overview of um, kind of each of those principles um, that I found kind of through my own journey and then working with patients. Mm -hmm. That was great. Thank you. I would love to touch a little bit on the stress piece yeah. because stress accounts for such a significant portion of doctor's visits and disease states. And it's something that every single person experiences. So how can we use stress of life to actually um, make us healthier or be more in a positive light? Yeah, I think you picked on a great one because, um, yeah, in some of the stats I use in the book is um, I think uh, medical textbooks will say 40 to 60 percent of all diseases caused by stress. The CDC said up to 75 percent of all doctor's visits are caused by stress. So when I read that, and learned about it, I had to look myself in the mirror and just say, as a doctor, what am I doing to help my patients address stress, right? It's easy to address the effects of stress, right? Whether it shows up in the adrenals or whether it shows up in the thyroid or whether it shows up in different organs or systems that you can help them do that. Um, but yeah, so the question you asked, which is a fantastic one, is how can we actually use that stress to make us stronger? And, you know, I'll give, it a, I'll give an example of, let's imagine, you know, probably not too hard for each of us to imagine, but somebody that's really irritating us or causing us, you know, a lot of problem or you know, ticking us off to use a present term. Or um, So it's easy to have that stress kind of build up in the body. So an example in that way is how can we use that experience to get stronger? So how can we communicate more effectively with them? How can we mm -hmm. kind of probe those emotions of it's triggering anger or frustration or rage and actually allow ourselves to you know, work through those emotions and be more at cause over them rather than at effect of them, right? And kind of get to what's the positive. How can we use that to maybe motivate us to, you know, create, you know, be, find more of a job we really love to do or handle that person better, or have the courage to, you know, talk to our boss and confront the situation or how can we use those moments um, of stress in our life instead of being effective of them, but willing to confront them take responsibility over not just the action, but our reaction to it. And then being willing to experience, because what, what, holds, what holds stress there, any kind of stress, 
is our resistance to it. So like when, and when someone experiences a loss, they'll say, you know, experience it, you know, let out a good cry, and, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of idea, which I think is, you know, widely understood as valuable, but it's the same thing with anger, frustration. It's those moods we try to ignore and push down and hide away and lock in a closet that's like bursting the seams that we hope doesn't jam open. But the willingness to, you know, experience it, um, to work through it, you know, whether with a coach, whether through meditation, whether through a gratitude process, or whether, you know, whether prayer, whatever way somebody uses to work through that, but to actually feel more causative over that emotion rather than effective it. So what that means is, and disease or a stressful situation ends up being an opportunity to make us stronger. And the example in the body is exercise is a stress on the muscles and our bones, but ultimately create stronger muscles and stronger bones, right? Mm-hmm. Immune challenges in our environment, ultimately under the right circumstances, same thing with muscle and bone under the right circumstances, meaning we have the right nutrients and the right ability to heal can actually make us stronger. So we can dive more deeply into like how to do that or like working through that, but that ended up what I, and the reason I got into that was um, through my own experience with the headache. Once I handled a lot of the headaches, I realized that um, stress on my own or working with clients who are going through a lot of stress would trigger some headaches for me or trigger some different things for me. And I realized, hmm, there's more to this idea of health than just, you know, kale, good butter, and exercising twice a week. Um, <laughs> So that that kind of led me down that way. Yeah, I'd love for you to share what are have been some of the biggest needle movers for you or your clients. Yeah, sure. I'll give you. Um, so I'll give you a couple. Um, the first one is starting my day with a gratitude process, and this may sound, um, you know, really simple, and I tell you it probably is. Um, but I'll tell you it's something I've done pretty much every day for the last 14 years. So it's something that, you know, I practice and I find it it's incredibly effective yeah, putting me in a positive mindset to start the day and just focusing on what's good. And I'll tell you, it also tells me something on the days I don't want to do it, <laughs> that those are the days I really need to do it and just kind of spot it. Because if I have some resistance to it, that also tells me something. The second, the second one um, to add to that, or maybe a, or even do a third. Um, so there was this, uh, there's a book by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. He was an FBI hostage negotiator. You can be familiar book. with the book. Fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, it was. He's, just a, he's a fun, he's a, yeah, he's a, a great story. Um, but in that book, he talks about a functional MRI study. Um, and what he talks about is people that are in MRI. And so a functional MRI, they're laying down the tube and they're looking at what part of the brain lights up. And they would show them different pictures. Some pictures would be more calming and relaxing. I don't know what they were showing them, but I think of like walking on the beach or sunrise or sunsets. And someone could be more threatening. They show violent images or images that would evoke anger or fear. And they look to see which part of the brains light up. So when somebody saw the anger and fear, it was more of the amygdala, more of like the, the stress part of the brain would light up. And when somebody saw the images of beaches and sunrises and mountains and the relaxing things, it would be more the you know, prefrontal cortex, the kind of part of the brain that would light up, but more the relaxing system. But what was interesting about the study, and the reason I'm sharing this in answer to this question, is the researchers then asked the patients, the the participants in the study, to name the mood level they were experiencing. And just by naming the mood of fear or anger or anxiety, it changed the part of the brain that was firing from the stress response, from the amygdala, to more of that prefrontal cortex, to more of the rational part of the brain. Mm -hmm. And the lesson for that, for all of us, is like, you can't describe a house when you're locked in the broom closet, right? So you can't, we often aren't fully aware of the moods that are triggered for us when we're stuck in them. Like, it's like the idea of we're, you know, in a fight with our spouse or significant other, and you think of that brilliant thing you wish you would have said like an hour later or two hours later, like when you're when the shower after, instead of like the anger of the moment kind of clouds that rational thinking. Um, so it's that idea of simply naming the mood level what that gets us to do is step outside the mood and describe it, right? We can't describe, just like we can't describe the house locked in the broom closet. You can't really name or describe the mood when you're stuck in that emotion of it. It's actually what you have to do is kind of step outside it and look back at that mood to describe it. So just asking yourself or have, you know, having your listeners ask yourself to describe their mood level is a really, really powerful one. 
um, because it's actually changing, you know, changing that whole stress response in the brain. And we take it one step further, you can actually take those moods you're effective. Let's say it's a mood you have difficulty handling. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's frustration. You can actually ask yourself the question, what part of that mood am I willing to experience? Like, so I'm willing to experience the anger and frustration of, you know, trying to write a book. I'm willing to experience the anger and frustration of, you know, talking to new clients. I'm willing to experience the anger and frustration of going to the gym and working on that final set, just like pushing through or whatever it is. Or, and then what part of that anger and frustration would I rather not experience? And then work through those pieces of it with the end result that you have less resistance to that mood and more willing to experience it. And then even the more important part is looking at the next question is what is the opposite positive to that mood of anger? And maybe it's happiness or maybe it's joy or maybe it's love. And the answer can depend for each of them, but also asking yourself or working with a partner to ask the same questions. What part of, let's say, love are you willing to experience? And what part of love would you rather not experience? Because often, you know, we like to think the charge is on what we think of as the negative mood levels, but often there's a lot more, you know, charge or stuck emotion on the positive mood levels there. So mm -hmm. working through those as well can change our resistance to it and ultimately allow us to just experience those moods, feel them, and then release them instead of staying stuck with them for hours or days or weeks or months or, you know, waking up at two in the morning thinking about the person that cut us off in traffic as an, ex as an example. Yeah. So, so if I wanted to apply this in my yeah. daily life, sure, I want to know exactly how it looks. So do I take a journal and a part of my gratitude journal, I write out some of these emotions or is it a constant thing through the whole day where I'm pausing and really reflecting like, oh, interesting. I'm feeling a little anxiety or a little anger and then like physically out loud saying this or well, what does that actually look like in a normal day for someone to try? Good. Yeah. So this is a phenomenal question. So um, I think most of this you can do solo with yourself. I think some of the like the ones with a real lot of emotion behind it or a lot of energy, you're better off talking to someone else. So having them ask you the question. So a good friend. So one way this can look is just going through your day and maybe you just got a note on your phone and like at 10 a.m. I feel really pissed off and you just write down the mood of pissed off <laughs> and you write down the mood of anger and then you get to the end of the day and maybe you're at a coffee shop or maybe you're having you know, a glass of tea the next morning or you get to a point where you can, um, you have some some time and space to kind of think and work through that. And it can be literally asking yourself those questions out loud or it can be writing. What's in, like I said, 80, 90%, you can do this on your own. Some of the more difficult ones, you'll find better working with someone. The key is, in my experience, the key is, it's actually feeling the emotion. So it's like, imagine that anger that we feel is right here. And you know, for those listening to audio, my hand's like three feet away from my head. And it's like, what you want to do is be able to bring it right to where you are right now and just fully experience it to the point where it can begin to release. So it's actually leaning in to these difficult emotions rather than leaning out. But in terms of the how, um, it can be verbally to yourself. It can be writing them down. But what you want to feel is a release of that mood as you work through it. Mm -hmm. And just as a just as a warning or heads up, you may actually feel that mood more as you start, because that anger that's hiding in the broom closet now all of a sudden is right there in front of your face. So that's actually what you want to happen. And then as you work through that, it'll you know break apart and begin to dissipate. You you know, and that's kind of what we're looking for through that process. Is okay. That, yeah. One, one more question. So when yeah, I'm asking please. myself, what part of this anger am I willing to experience? Am I, do I have an answer to that question or is it simply asking that? And then that's a part of the release is just bringing the awareness of it to paper or verbalization. Okay. Do you want, do you want I know, uh, me to give an example on you right now? Or work yes. through one? Oh, okay. um, to, uh, okay. Yeah. We can try. I can see if I have anything. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So pick pick a mood level that you've run into that maybe you have some difficulty experiencing and that you'd be comfortable discussing on a podcast. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Um, let's see. I would say, does it, does stress, well, I guess it could be anxiety. Sure. sure. And and you can make up as much of the answer as you want, if it's helpful. Okay. So just, um, but what it would look like is, well, I'll give the example of working, you know, with someone like a partner. So 
what part of, do you want to use stress or want to use anxiety? Stress. Let's use stress. Good. So what part of stress are you willing to experience? What part of stress am I willing to experience? Um, the good parts of stress. <laughs> <laughs> good. So great. Good. So tell me about the good parts of stress. What would those be? Okay. The good parts of stress are the parts that motivate me, the parts that um, help me accomplish my goals for the week and help me become a better person. Awesome. Great. What part of stress would you rather not experience? Uh, I don't want to experience the ones that make me feel overwhelmed, mm -hmm. um, that make me feel agitated or irritated. Um, or un incapable of dealing with work or life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. What, what part of stress are you willing to experience? Well, we keep going. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what else I would put. Um, what part of stress am I willing to experience? I, I feel like that's all I have. Okay. Yeah. And so what you do is you'd ask that a few different times. And okay. what you want to do is just kind of get to the point of a little bit of release. So often that okay. can feel like laughter or a little bit of lightness okay. uh, or just a little bit of ah. you know, you okay. can feel a little bit of that tension release in your body. So that's kind of what you're looking for. That may be one or two times through. It may be more, uh, okay. just, you know, for the kind of listeners out there. And then I, you know, I just ask you, what's the opposite? What's the opposite positive to the mood of stress? Relief. Yeah. So Relaxation. Good. So what part of relief and relaxation are you willing to experience? All the parts of it. <laughs> yeah. Good. So describe it. Okay. Um, feeling calm, cool, and collected on a daily basis. Um, feeling that way through my work day, in my relationships. Um, able to experience the fun and joy without thinking of those other external stressors going on yeah great and then what part of relief and relaxation would you rather not experience do i not want to experience i don't know if there's any parts of relaxation i don't want to experience maybe being too relaxed to a point where you're unmotivated i'm unmotivated or um start to get lazy yes yeah there you go and like you notice the kind of a laughter come up a couple of times yeah. as you work through that? You yeah. feel a little more lightness as you work through it? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's I mean, it's literally, cool. yeah, it's <laughs> literally that. Uh, I, you know, I'd ask it a little more time, a couple more times, and you know, mm -hmm. maybe there's a little bit more to get into there. But that's that's the that's the experience of it. It was just taking what's unconscious or subconscious and maybe unaware or not fully aware, mm -hmm. but definitely here right now. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and, and helping that to become known and aware and ultimately create a release through that. And that's what you're feeling through the body, through a little bit of laughter, through a little bit of lightness. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, so thanks for your willingness uh, to go through that because I think it was a great, uh, I mean, I hope it was a great example for the listeners. I think your question was a good one, which is like, how do I practically apply it? So mm -hmm. I think to have the example and here you go through it, uh, will be super helpful for for the audience to go through that. But that that would be an example of of how you would do it. And you know, we ran those questions really once each time. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's helpful to run them a few more times. But ultimately, you want to release and lightness and some laughter, or what, however that win manifests for the client. And if it's one time, that's great. If it's three or five times or more, then that's great as well. Because these these there's kind of layers to some of this stuff that can be helpful. Or it just releases the first time and you feel great. You have a great day after that. <laughs> so you can go a couple different ways. I know. I think it's fantastic. I think um, once you get into it and just allow your, like one important piece of this stuff is just letting yourself say whatever comes yeah. out. Because yeah. I, I yeah, definitely yeah. overthink in the beginning. I was like, oh, I don't know what yeah. to say, you know? Yeah. And so allowing yourself to just, okay, let me just say whatever comes to my mind. And then that can start to unlock some of the subconscious stuff that you I've not been processing. So I love exactly. that. Yeah. You're bypassing the filters is what you're doing and bypassing the mind and bypassing like, you know, some of those idea of what's okay to say or not okay to say, or, you know, those kind of things are just like, yeah. just what you're looking for is truth and honest answer, right? That's all you're looking for. Like sometimes people ask, is there a right answer? Is there a wrong answer to this? The right answer is what's true or honest for you in the moment, whatever it is, because that honest to true answer, it's like that saying that truth will set you free. 
like that is it. It's quite simplistic, like simplistically. So there's no right or wrong answers in this. And that's kind of what I like about those questions is, um, you know, they're very eductive in the sense of eduction is the root word of education. And it means to draw out or kind of that Socratic method of teaching, which is asking a question. But what I love about it is it puts the patient or the client in control, right? Our job is just to ask the question and nobody knows you better than you, <laughs> right? For you to find that right answer. It's the same thing for your audience. It's ultimately the most true for them uh, is for them to find it. My job, what I see is as a coach is to help ask the right questions help them unlock those right answers for themselves. And, you know, the idea of helping someone to fish versus giving them a fish, right? You put them back in control. And the more you can do that, the more ultimately we're empowering you know, clients, listeners, and, and, and helping them be more positive. In Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this conversation flew by. And I have so <laughs> many other questions I wanted to ask you. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see if we can squeeze in another one or two. Let's see. Um, what is nature's perfect food to you? Good. So the example I give in the book. Um, so, so this is yeah. So this is a is a great question that you asked because um, you know the idea of a perfect diet is comes from all kinds of different lines. And basically, um, I love huge fan of the work of Weston A. Price and kind of looking at those ancestral diets. And basically, what we learned is there's no basic perfect diet, mm -hmm. right? It's it's local, it's sustainably sourced, it's fresh, and it's all kind of there. So the nature's perfect food, what I actually talk about is breast milk, milk from the mother. Because what we find with breast milk is when a child's sick, the constituents of the breast milk will change so that there's natural antibodies in the milk. When it's hotter outside, there'll be more um, water in the breast milk to stop the baby from being hydrated or from being dehydrated. So in the evening, there's more sleep-inducing melatonin in there that'll help the baby sleep. So many of us experience anxiety and stress. And to be honest, I'm, I've always been one of those people who tends more towards anxiety. So I've always looked for hacks like breathing techniques and the foods I should eat to optimize my body, to reduce anxiety. But one thing that's super important is getting quality sleep to lower our stress levels, lower our anxiety. But what can happen is when we try to go to sleep, that will flare up again and then we're anxious and we have a hard time falling asleep, our mind is racing and it kind of becomes this cycle and we have insomnia. So if you can relate to this in any way, this is important for you to listen to. This might really help you out. Because if you're not sleeping, again, you're not really healing from anything, you're not going to be as energized and healthy the next day. And a lack of sleep is gonna cause weight gain, fatigue, cognitive issues, hormone imbalances, and so on. So there's this company called Baloo, and they have 100% cotton, chemical-free, weighted blankets. And these blankets, seriously, they feel like a firm hug when you put them on. And what this does is this soothes your nervous system and will alleviate any stress and anxiety. And when that happens, we actually increase our serotonin production, which is our happy hormone. And then our serotonin actually converts into melatonin, which signals our bodies that it's time to go to sleep. So using the Baloo weighted blankets can help you get a restful night's sleep and allow your body to do the natural healing and repair it needs during the night. And you are going to feel so much less stress, less anxiety, and you will have such a better night's sleep when you're using this weighted blanket. And it's amazing for daytime too, if you're ever wanting to just cuddle up and take a nap or watch a movie and have this blanket on you, it feels amazing and secure. So you can find a link to their website in the show notes. Um, breast milk is nature's perfect food because it's perfectly adapted and individualized to, to the baby, right? And even if a mom has you know, two children or twins or two children's nursing at the same time, um, the breast milk they get will each be individualized. So it'll have different nutrients or different constituencies depending on the health of that child, what they're going through right now and what they need at that moment. So what I think, so breast milk is what I write about, but it's in the chapter of the Model A, but basically there is no one size fits all. It's this idea that communication between mom and baby 
helps create the perfect food at every moment, given the inputs of what's going on with, with the child at the time. Hmm. That is fascinating. I, I definitely knew about the hormones changing, right? So like if a mom pumps, they need to have the AM breast milk saved and give it to the baby in the morning and the, the PM, but I did not know about the twin thing. That's, that's really interesting. Wow. But yeah, absolutely. It opens up the idea of like, how does that communication go back and forth between mom and baby? Right. And some of it may be through the saliva, but some of that's energetic. Right. And that gets into that quantum principle. You can start looking at all kinds of like interesting studies of like at one study, they they removed um, some cells from a woman's uterus just before birth. And the room, the, the uterine cells were one room over. And as the mom went into labor, the uterine cells in another room in another part of the lab were contracting in unison with the uterus of the mom. Wow. <laughs> so you start having things like that. And then all of a sudden you, ha- you look at that and you're like, well, if that's true, we've got we've to understand some pieces of health differently, right? When you start looking at objects like that. So anyway, I think some of those are some of those non-physical kind of that quantum principle, the energetic communication that's happening um, is helps explain us um, how, you know, mom's breast milk will change before the pediatrician can even diagnose the illness if the child's sick. Like that's how soon it happens. It may take three to five days for the symptoms to show up, but the breast milk's already changed to give the baby what it needs at that time. So the sim- it's happening on a different level than we're used to thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, on the concept of energy, and yeah. this is a really big question, so feel free to just cut this down into like a brief chunk for the end. But what are the biggest things throwing off our energetic balance? And what are what's maybe a couple simple things people should think about too? restore that energy? So I think, um, so that's a great question. So obviously you can get into things like cell phones, you get into Wi-Fi, you get 5G, you get the EMF. And I think all of that's, you know, true, you know, with um, the coaching and leadership center we have is hundred, you know, 130 acres in North Texas. So we're in the hills and it's like way in the country. And it's like, people come out there and like, Hey, we sleep better. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> like there's a reason why, cause we're far away from that. So all of that is true. But I'd say the single biggest effect on our energy level is actually our mood level. And I think our mood level is the energy that we're sending through our body at any given moment, at any given time. And, you know, we notice that, you know, from, you know, I'll tell you, I notice that if I'm in not the best mood level, I'll walk into the practice and patients won't be doing as well. I'll have more people cancel that day. Uh, more mm-hmm. people come in, maybe a little bit upset or a little bit irritated or what well, happened yesterday. I had a, you know, someone cancel because they got a flat tire. And it's just like, is that all connected or is it not connected? I mean, that's a question each person can answer, but I'll tell you, I can, I can notice that doesn't happen on days. I'm feeling happy and excited and positive when I walk into the office and it totally does on days I don't. So I think that question of our mood level really is the single most important, because even if we go back to the idea of EMF, and we go back to 5G and we go back to Wi-Fi. And I think all that stuff is you know, real and we certainly didn't evolve with it because it's you know, relatively new technology considering which one we're talking about. But I like to think the stronger our energetic field is, the more resistant we are the energetic fields of others. So that the stronger our energy is, the less we're affected by Wi-Fi or EMF or 5G. So that's kind of and that's kind of my thought press through it. So this, so that's why I go back to the answer is it's our mood level. It's, you know, the quality of our own energetic field. And, and I think that comes down to, comes down to mood. And there's a lot of nutrition factors we can look at as well, but I think that that mood level is where I'd start for sure. Yeah. Well, emotions are energy in motion, right? And it kind of exactly. goes back to the whole concept we just talked about with naming the emotion to release it. And there's many, many other tools out there to like process and release emotions. But if you think of, you know, when you're holding on to those things, we know that those stuck or held on to emotions create dis-ease in the body, right? And so like releasing those and doing all the other practices to help elevate it, I can totally see how that um, makes sense to restore your energy and also I have the same exact thing happen to me. If I am not feeling optimal, oh my gosh, my clients cancel on me. They shift their, their meetings. Like it all without a doubt always happens to at least a couple people on those days where for some reason, you know, I'm not feeling the best. And so I can back that up 
for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it happens without without fail. I, I find like, you know, the, the, one of the best things I can do is obviously, you know, as practitioners, we want to lead the example for patients, you know, in terms of diet and exercise and what we do. But the other thing I found is the more I, you know, work on myself, the more I'm just able to help patients, like the less resistance I have to what they're working through, the more I can help them be a safe terminal, kind of discharge what they're going through, make it a positive experience for them. Like basically what I'm saying is the more I work on myself, it actually has a positive effect on, you know, each of those patients and clients through that mechanism that you're talking about. Like we are, you know, we are connected. I'll end on this last story. There's a book uh, called Connect Connected. It was by two guys named Christakis and Christakis. I think there were researchers at Harvard, but somewhere out east. Um, but basically what they found is if, you know, if you lose weight, your friends are more likely to lose weight, but also your friends' friends are more likely to lose weight, but also your friends' friends' friends are more likely to lose weight. So it goes out three iterations from you, which is amazing because you probably never met your friends. You might've met your, you definitely met your friends. You probably met most of your friends' friends, but you probably haven't met hardly any of your friends' friends' friends, but that's true whether you lose weight. It's true whether you gain weight. It's true whether you start smoking. It's true whether you stop smoking. It's true with alcohol consumption. It's true with whether you vote. Right. So just this idea of interconnection, um, you know, and that's, you know, kind of mainstream stuff in terms of they're proving that, but it's a very Eastern idea of this interconnection between all of us. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's a, you know, a very real uh, phenomenon that takes us you know, some other places. But yes, I, I think um, I think that's a great point. I agree there. Okay. Real quick. Uh, yeah. Four question speed round. Are ready. you ready? Okay. I'll be speedy. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Um, that's a phenomenal question. Like, I'm really happy here. I'll take, so one of my favorite places I ever visited was Ecuador, um, because at one point I was in primary rainforest, which was like untouched. It had electricity like two hours a day and then, you know, feeds into the Amazon mm -hmm. also has snow capped mountains year round active volcano has the Pacific ocean there. It was just so very green. So um, I don't know if I'd live there, but that was that was a really, really pretty place. Um, so I'll say that for an answer. I, there's primary rainforest. There's just so much life and energy in there. I don't know if I'd want to live there, but that's that's one of the most like impactful places I've ever visited. Okay, perfect. That's why I like Costa Rica too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What's your favorite hobby? Favorite hobby. Um, Kind of on the wellness side, I've gotten into, I enjoy running um, just from like kind of like clearing my mind. Um, that and other than that, I'm just kind of boring. It's like reading. <laughs> so okay. reading and reading and running would probably be my two answers there. That's great. What's one supplement that you could not live without? Ooh. Um, a great question. Um, Probably that the answer's changed a lot. There's a specific supplement um, that I worked with was like whole food B vitamin, whole food C vitamins and proteins to support healing and repair of the heart. So that was like the big one for me for like five or 10 years as I worked through the headaches called Cardio Plus. Right now, I'd probably say for where I am, it's more like adrenal adaptogens. Um, mm -hmm. So like rhodiola, schisandra, eleuthero, um, just kind of where I am right now. That's definitely something I'm working on on myself. So that those would probably be... Um, the ones I would use now just to kind of support me for, you know, wanting to, you know, do more things, help more people and just be more myself. Yes. Necessary for us <laughs> people who have these busy lives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. And final question. If you could leave the listeners with one tip that they could implement this week to help them live a healthier, happier life, what would that be? Just tell them to be present. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, you know, connect to that you know, figure out what that means or practice what that means if they have an understanding of it, but just, just be here, be present now. Mm -hmm. Do you want to share any other final things or where people can find you? Sure. Absolutely. Just uh, thank you. Yeah, I agree. The time definitely flew by and, you know, look forward to getting to the rest of the questions at a future time, because that was an awesome discussion. I appreciate that. Your willingness to work with me and just kind of make that demonstration there. Cause I think that was, that was awesome. So yeah, thank you, Rachel. Um, yeah. So if, 
people want to connect, um, probably the easiest way um, is on Instagram, just Jeff Crippen, my name, J-E-F-F-C-R-I-P-P-E-N. Um, or if they want to learn more about some of the principles we discussed and some more things on, on diet and basically Raisin and I wrote the book, and I think the, the book is called Timeless Youth that we talked about before, The Five Truths of Transformational Wellness and Holistic Healing. And the reason I wrote that book is because I think the biggest issue with health is we're actually hardwired to not understand what health is. The whole medical system is based on, it's called healthcare, but it's really disease treatment. It has little to do with health and often little to do with care. Um, there's some great people and great doctors and great knowledge in that system. So it's not to throw it all to the to the side. Um, it could be very useful, but it's a disease treatment system without a doubt above and all. So to actually create health, we actually have to rewire our brains to actually understand what health is. And that's that's why I wrote this book to give patients and, and listeners the idea to understand what is health and how can you practically apply it in your life to make what you're already doing more effective. Um, so that would be what I would leave them with. So the book's Timeless Youth. It's available on Amazon. We've got a website, timelessyouthbook.com. Or um, you have a favorite indie bookstore or local retailer, um, you can call them. And if they don't have it in stock, they can they can get it for you and you can get it from there as well. Great. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes as well. Well, thank you again for being on the show, Dr. Crippen. This was a wonderful conversation. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. I yeah. Right back at you. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for tuning in to the Natural Health Rising podcast. I hope you found this episode informative and left you feeling empowered to take control of your health naturally. As a reminder, the information provided in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any illness or medical condition. Please consult with a qualified healthcare professional before making any changes to your diet, exercise routine, supplements, or medical treatment. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Comments and ratings help the show reach more people so that they too can level up their health and entire life holistically. I really appreciate your support and feedback. Before I go, I want to remind you that I work with clients virtually all over the world. So if you are searching for a functional medicine provider to help you uncover the root cause of your health issues and have support and guidance in healing your body through nutrition and lifestyle changes, then you can book a free health consultation with me by using the link in the show notes and we can talk about working together. Thanks for listening and keep striving to become your healthiest, happiest self.